All right, hello everybody. Welcome back to the Drexel Basketball Podcast. I'm Nate, and as always, we have Dan and Eric here with us. Uh, so we're going to start out. We're going to review the games from this week on the men's and the women's side, and then we're going to have Jerry Beach on us on for us uh, a little bit later on. So um, we're going to start out getting right into the men's game. So two games to talk about this week. Uh, so on Monday night, I know I don't know if you guys experienced this too, but you have to kind of refresh your memory. It was almost a week ago, but um, but. Uh, Drexel losing to UNC Wilmington down there, uh, 70 to 63, and then um, turned around and won on uh, Thursday night down at Delaware, 76 68. So uh, split the week, and uh, what we were saying was an 0 4 difficult road trip, uh, went 2 and 2. So, um, you know, I guess it could have been worse, and that fits with the team. If, correct me if I'm wrong, is now 10 and 10. Um, so kind of splitting it right down the middle. Um, but let's start first with the UNC Wilmington game playing first place and at that time undefeated. Now since then they've they've lost out at Elon. But um, but what do you guys think about that game on uh, on, on Monday night? Well, Wilmington Wilmington still first place. Uh, they are no longer undefeated. But yeah, I, I mean I think you know this road trip in particular. You look at if you look at the road trip as a whole, the way you put it, Nate, they went two and two, and on a really really tough four game road trip. You take that. You know, we said going in, this could have been an 0 4 trip. There's really on the books, you looked at that going in. Now, JMU's kind of slid off a little bit, but you were concerned. You know, you had to be concerned as a Drexel fan walking into this trip that you could really take a beating. So, 2 and 2, you kind of take. But then you look at the games individually, and it's just killer. It's just a killer to watch the way they lost to Towson and then to come back and Wilmington, you know, again, take a big lead and just watch. And everybody saw it coming. It's funny when you compare the UNCW game to the Delaware game because Delaware game got the big, big lead and everybody I've talked to everybody said no you never really felt like that was going to be in jeopardy but the Wilmington game you kind of I don't know if it's the crowd in Trask or uh, which was a great crowd um, and, and good on them I think they said they had 1600 students for, for that game mm-hmm. which is I mean that's real you know think about think about what that would do in the DAC so it's it's just Trask is back and that's great for them I think that's a, that's a great thing for, for Wilmington um, obviously they're doing some things um, uh, to KO Siddle. He's doing some hitting the right buttons right now. They hit some big, tough shots. Um, and they kept, you know, their guys on the floor. They, they pressed when they needed to. They just kind of, they were always there. You, you kind of always knew that you'd never thrown the knockout punch. And, and sure enough, there it came. A very frustrating game as a Drexel fan to watch. Um, and just yeah, a bunch of, bunch of numbers that. So, yeah, we, we led by as many as 18 and add us up 31-13 with six minutes, 22 seconds left in the first half. And and Coltrane Washington was, I mean, he was excellent in the first half. But then, yeah, I mean, but then unfortunately, I think all his 14 points were right in that first stretch. And then the rest of the game, we didn't, you know, this was a totally different story, essentially. So, um, yeah. Yeah, Drexel didn't take care of the ball that game. They uh Turned it over 20 times. I don't care if you shoot, you know, 40 from three, 48 from the field. You turn it over 20 times and your opponent turns it over six times. Mm-hmm. That's great and terrible at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, that, that does, it's obviously what cost them the game. Yeah, and that's right. I mean, Wilmington hit a lot of tough shots. We had in, I have a 29 to two was the fast break points off the turnover. So once they kind of picked up the heat, it was just a totally different game. So, um, but we could keep it half court. We were okay. But then once they, they changed the, the tenor, like we've seen, same, it was the same game as Towson, essentially, two days ago, two days before that. So, um, but. So one thing, you know, I do want to give, I don't know if you will call it credit or not, but 
that was the third game, you know, in a in whatever it was, five days, all on the road, all in tough environments. Uh, really tough travel. JMU to Towson to Wilmington doesn't even make sense. Obviously, this was a replacement game because of COVID. Mm-hmm. So this wasn't on the original schedule to be played like that. So I think he saw some tired legs. And I think um, singling out Cam, who again, took nothing away from, has been a great player for the Dragons and is a leader, is, is the leader on this team that took us to the tournament last year. But we've seen a few times in his career, I think, where he has a bunch of games back to back to back. Um, you, you kind of see the, the run on his tires, I think, more than you see in some others at times. So, you know, this was a one of a very poor game for him. You know, he was eight points, three assists, three turnovers. That's for Cam Winters, right? That's not that's not a great performance for for maybe somebody else. It would be okay, but we have expectations of Cam that are loftier than others. And you know, you need a point guard against a pressure team, against a team that's going to turn it up on you and in a hostile environment. He struggled. Xavier Bell really, really struggled in this one. I was surprised he left him on the court for as much as he did. And I think you've seen when teams have been able to kind of defend those two guys, uh, Jux has been in trouble this year. I, I think those two guys are starting to drink right now. I think I think Xavier's more important than people give him credit for. And um, when those two guys are both struggling, it's just, it makes it a real tough game, especially at that point. Remember, uh, uh, Matei Okrus was also out, out. So, you know, we were down a guard. Those two guys were struggling. The fact that they had a big lead was almost a miracle. Um, and speaks to how well the front court has been playing. Amari Williams, uh, James Butler has, is now back, and he seems to be finding a stride again. And Malik Martin, we'll talk about him, I'm sure, with the Delaware game, but just becoming, you know, really important piece for this team. Mm-hmm. And I guess the question, you know, and I think that was another issue, you know, I had in the second half, you know, once once Wilmington kind of picked up the pressure and again, you know, it's I mean, there's a lot of blame to go around after a game like that. But, um, you know, it just seemed like we kept running Cam, um, you know, basically Cam and Bell, you know, straight at the the UNC Wilmington defense. So I have I have Cam and, uh, and Xavier Bell combined one for 13 in the second half. So, I mean, how much of that? And again, that's the question becomes how much of that is, is Coach Spiker? You know, you, do you want to see him kind of step it in there and saying, hey, you know, we got to exploit the right matchups? Because I felt like we really weren't taking advantage of it. You know, like Malik Martin backing down, you know, in the post versus was Cam not doing a good enough job of saying, hey, like, you know, we need to get, we just slow things down, take a breath and get the ball to the right places. I mean, what did you guys feel about that? Yeah, I'm actually glad you asked the question because I asked the question to Zach Spiker. There's a, a media conference call uh, the conference had this week. So I got a chance to, I have a question for, for Coach Spiker, and my question was exactly that. It was similar to it anyway, which is this team has taken a lot of three-pointers in the first half. We saw that with JMU. We saw that with Towson. We saw that at, at Wilmington. And then they kind of, you know, really concentrate, it seems like, on driving, getting the basket more in the second halves. All three games, three different defenses, three different styles. Yeah, they all kind of played out the same way for the Drexel offense. Is this something that you're, you're going for, or is this something – and I got the same response that we've heard in the past, which is we're taking what the defense gives us. And in this game, I think that's absolutely incorrect. Mm-hmm. I don't think the defense was giving them that. I, I think there were open shooters on the perimeter, and we weren't finding them. Yeah. So I, I, I do. I think it's a that's a fine boilerplate statement to make when somebody asks you about it. But I absolutely don't believe it's the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's the debate I have with Cam. It's it, you know, again, I, I, I'm, I, I, what I, I think about it, he's he's an interesting player because, and I think about it like at least for me personally in between COVID and then I don't know that he really had the right personnel around him. I think this is like the first time I'm able to watch him like game in and game out. And, you know, he is a little bit of a victim of all the the, the hype that surrounds him. Um, so when he doesn't play well, you're kind of like, 
am I missing something? But, you know, I, that was what I walked away from that game. Is it was, did he lose control of this or, you know, did, did was he not put in the right positions? And probably both are true at the end of the day, but um, yeah, cause as we, yeah, as, and as well as Coltrane did early and then for him to not even really get many shots the rest of the game. And then Malik Martin really was doing a nice job backing down. It's like, why are we having Bell and Cam take all our shots? So that was my issue, especially in the second half. Yeah, I mean, you talk about Coltrane hasn't taken a shot, it feels like, since halftime of that game. You know, he, he, he didn't score in 30 minutes at Delaware. He did take four shots. But, you know, he wasn't really found there again in the second half of that game. Um, they're keeping him on the floor. I, I will say, and I talked about this the last, the end of last week's podcast, but his development – has been really good. I think you're seeing uh, still improved defense out of him, and he's earning those 30 minutes a game. It'll, it'll be interesting with, with Matei back to see if he continues to get quite so much. I imagine he'll drop to around 20-ish, but mm-hmm. for a guy who really wasn't playing in the year, early in the year a whole lot, you know, the first few games of the season, he played nine minutes against Syracuse, nine minutes against St. Joe's, a DNP against Tulane. I think he was hurt for that one. Um, but he played the next day, which was the same tournament, against Charlotte. So, I mean, it wasn't like he was super hurt. <laughs> he wasn't playing extreme minutes early on. Now he's he's – Played 30 minutes a game for, for the last five, six games. And I think he's really earned the time, to be honest with you. He looks decent out there. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I, we're worried especially about his defense. And I think even just so the course of this season, he's really come a long way. So, um, but, but yeah, just a game I, in general, I just thought, you know, it just, they adjusted and we didn't. And it just reminded me so much of the Towson game kind of back to back. So that was what was disappointing for me. But yeah, I mean, but they're a terrific team. And, yeah, you got tripped by up by Elon, but they're the the target everybody's shooting for right now. So, you think when Drexel gets a double digit lead, the other the opponent has them right where they want them. <laughs> well, that that could be a good segue then. So, um, so then we went down to Delaware and you know pretty much did the same thing. So we you know um, had a, a lead really much pretty much right out of the shoot, um, and then we led by as many as uh, twelve points with about seven minutes left in the first half. Um, we were five of ten from um, from the three point line in the first half, including uh, Amari Williams and a buzzer beater right before halftime. And were you guys feeling the same way I was? Like, oh boy, here we go again. Well, it was only a single digit lead. It was only we were only by nine. So, <laughs> so that was okay. I was like, yeah, be honest with you, I was a little bit nervous about that because that's been our trend. It just wasn't the last few games, but it's uh, it, it's been throughout the year. You know, more of a first half team. Um, but yeah, I thought I think it was, a lot of it was Delaware just not with the painter being out and just not being up to stomach. I mean, Carr had a fantastic game. He was he looked like painter out there basically. Yeah. Kind of career game. Um but uh yeah, it's just uh, I thought I thought Delaware kind of never came back in the second half. They didn't adjust. I felt like Andrew Carr, yeah, somebody told him what I've been saying about him for two years. You know, he's just because man, he was amped up for this game. He was ready to go. Uh, he's obviously he's a I think he's a Westchester kid. Westchester so, East, the, the Vikings, the power. <laughs> there you go. So maybe he's got a little little circle around Drexel. I don't know if he's recruited by Drexel or not. But, you know, he was up for this game. He certainly had an opportunity with Dylan Painter out, although he normally is a starter for them. Mm-hmm. And he took it. Um, I was in disbelief that we didn't go after him. They got nobody behind him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, you, uh, I got to tell you, I mean, love JB, but these 15-foot fadeaways, when you've got a guy over there you can knock out of the game. Mm-hmm. I, Andrew Carr... He, yeah, he ended the game with three fouls. I mean, you put another one, one or two on them early in the game. This totally changes the complexity of the game. Amari Williams took the ball to an extent, especially when they played zone. But this is a game, and I know you want to go here, Nate, so I'm going to jump in front of it and, and 
this is a game that Martin Ingles be lost, you know, pretty pretty handily. I thought he he really um, two two turning points in this game for me was was obviously when they went to the two three zone. Drexel really struggled early on. You did see Amari try to win some one on one battles in the paint there because we spread out their zone so much. I like that he, he wasn't able to execute, but I like the idea there, and maybe that scared Inglesby um, to out of it. But when they left it, you know, it was a big thank you from us. Um, and, and the other big thing. Um, was Jamil Nelson Jr., who has had our number now in both games, took a shot late in the game uh, in this one. And I want to say it was a shot to the head. Um, I don't think it was a concussion or anything like that, but you know, it was enough where he was you know holding his head for a second and kind of t- took a knock and took a second. I think they pulled him out for a minute. Um, and he didn't look the same after he went back in. So you know maybe that's just a matter of getting physical with somebody, which is not something we do a whole lot, or maybe that's he actually took a legit knock. But that was a big deal to us, you know, to the Dragons, because, you know, he was just not nearly as effective when he came back. And that team, you know, if, if he's not going to be, perp- you know, all that effective and Dylan Painter's not there, they have problems. Ryan Allen, you know, continues to be really good. But I, I, I think it was actually Coltrane who was on him. Mm-hmm. And you didn't hear a whole lot of Ryan Allen's number, which was, you know, really yeah, impressive. I, think he I, I had them, I, you know, Allen and Asamoah combined three of 17 um, and then one of 11 from three-point range, and they torched us at the DAC. So I, I, and I guess I'm trying to figure out how much that was us just defending that better versus they did a bad job looking at it. I want to say I think we defended it better. I don't know how you thought about that, but that was a big difference in the two matchups. Well, this is where you wonder if, if Coltrane Washington hasn't taken Mateo's spot a little bit. Mm. You know, I mean, that that is the switch in the defense between the two games, right? Um, and I think Mateo's a... You know, he's 6'6", he brings a lot of length, which we love having around the perimeter. But he, he doesn't – I mean, not that Coltrane is especially fleet foot, but um, I don't think foot speed when I look at Matei. And, you know, maybe that's it because I do think foot speed when I look at Ryan Allen. Um, so maybe a little quickness there defensively helps us out. Um, this is becoming my bag on cam podcast, and it's terrible. But, you know, he got beat a few times one-on-one in this game. And it continues to – you know, I think the thing with cam defensively is that for three years he was taught – this whole team is dependent on you. You have to stay out on the floor. You can't commit fouls. You're going to get help. Just, you know, do your job and hope some help comes. And I feel like he's still defending that way, even though we have a little more depth and um, now we actually have some help from him down low. But uh, there's some OLA defending going on out there for sure. Game in, game out. That, you know, if you face the wrong point guard, it's a real problem. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, I think Howard guards the fan. That's why I like seeing Xavier Bell on the floor as much as I do. Uh, he had a decent game here. Uh, he actually had a really good game. He had yeah. – the, the, it was the shots he had. He had the three to open, kind of open things up early on. Um, he had a three when Delaware closed the game to one, which was, I think, a scary moment for a lot of Drexel fans when, when that lead shrank down. He hit a big three, and, and then he hit, hit a late bucket to kind of finish things um, before Cam um, finished things off on the line. The other Cam that I have for you – I can say something good about Cam today, thank God, um, is that he has not missed a free throw yet. Knock, knock, knock. Eric, I'm going to do it to you. But uh, he has not missed a free throw yet in conference play. And really? the advantage of having a point guard who is shooting free throws, he's 92% for the season right now. At that rate, it's 14th in the country, is uh, is just huge. When you're close and late, you don't need to worry about the inbound. You don't need to worry about getting the ball to a certain player. You're going to inbound to your point guard. You're going to let him take the foul. That's it. You know, it's 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 a it was a great skill, and it's something that was effective and helped us close out this game. Yeah, I don't know if he's the best point guard to ever go through the program. He's one of the best. I'll definitely say that. 
I'll tell you, I've never seen a guy whose hands I want to see the ball in in the last minute of the game than Ken Winter for that reason. In, in over 30 years of follow, following the school play basketball. You know, and I've, and I've commented, yeah, I mean, as far as point guard, I mean, that's right. I like when we move him to like shooting guard. And because sometimes I feel like some of his best possessions are when he comes down and just shoots the ball. But the problem with that is then you don't really take time off the clock. Um, so it's almost like if he, it's, so it's like he's a shooting guard, you know, you want to play for him, you get him open and he, and he takes his shot. Um, I, you know, it's sort of, sometimes I feel like when Trey Brown's in there, we don't see a lot of him, but yeah, I, I, we, we experiment. I think even Coltrane's been playing point a little bit too. We've been experimenting with him there too. So, you know, I, I think we're, again, some things that coach Spiker is kind of playing with. And I, I did, you mentioned Xavier Bell. We did, I thought we did a much better job again, putting him in good positions. I felt like we we're trying to back him down at Wilmington against a taller player and he had no chance, but you know, a little better matchup. And, you know, we were kind of getting him to drive in, in the paint and he'd take that little floater. He was just taking better shots. He wasn't forcing things. So um, I, I think we did a better job with him of putting him in good spots. Yeah, to me, two keys to the game was Malik Martin playing out of his mind. Best game is a dragon, 21 points, seven rebounds, nine of 14 from the field. And I think he was perfect in the first half. Or maybe I think he missed one shot in the first half. But everything was going in. Uh, he, was, he was really kind of magic. He's kind of turning into the player I expect him to be coming out of Monmouth. And what really, really hurt Delaware was the lack of depth in that game. Painter being injured. They only played six guys. They had uh, their starters and their six-man paid all but seven minutes of the game, and that showed at the end. Now you say, I realize, I wonder if that had to do with, we even mentioned they didn't press, you know, so I kept waiting for them to come after. And they did, but it, it was kind of weak, honestly. So maybe that maybe their lack of depth was part of it. I don't know. Too tired. Yeah. The other problem with their press is that they're small, especially by today's standards, right? They're, they're I think, 6'1", 6'2", 6'4", 6'5", you know, one through four, and then Andrew Carr, who doesn't move that well, is your five. Mm-hmm. So it makes pressing pretty challenging, I would think, from a from that perspective. Mm-hmm. I guess, especially a bigger team like us. But yeah, really fun watching Malik. And I, I said this on Twitter, but he was within the flow of the offense. Mm-hmm. This was the biggest thing for me. He wasn't just cutting out there. You know, he's, he's another one of those guys who will make a defensive mistake and then try to throw throw a hero ball up at the other end. This wasn't that. This was totally within the flow of the system. They were finding him for open looks. He was shot fake, go to the basket, you know, getting by his man. It just looked really silky smooth out there. He looked really, really good. And this was the way he should be used. And the only thing I'm upset about right now, you know, look at the box score, 24 minutes. That's it. Leave that guy out there for 40. I mean, my <laughs> Lord, they had no answer. Um, and Lamar Odin didn't look bad out there either. But, you know, you got a guy who's who's running that hot. Let's, let's give him some run. Hey, I thought CBS did a really good job on that game, by the way. Uh, they, they really did their homework. I got heard some Chaz Crawford and Frank Elgar reference. That's gone back a long time at this point. Well, that was Scotty Graham on the on the call, right? And uh, I don't know who was next to him. Um, Another but, fellow does the uh, NCAA tournament. I can't remember. Yeah, so uh, no, it, was, it was it was a nice it was a nice hometown call for sure. And uh, the, the officials actually, I'll say, um, were were professional. You know, they were Thursday night national TV officials that we had too. I didn't think we I actually don't think Drexel got a great whistle in either of the two games we're talking about. Um, a friendly whistle, I should say, but uh, this was a, a legit professional crew on this one. So I think that's all I got from this one. I know we've, we've got some time constraints here, Nate, but if, if you got anything else, if not, we can hop along. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, again, I, I thought it was a, it, it was nice to see us. I think we got, we, we took advantage of better matchups and um, yeah, I, I thought relieved, you know, you know, I think it was a good night for coach Spiker and, um, and I, and the way I was, I was wanting them to press us to see how we would respond. It never happened, but, 
Um, but now we'll take it. And uh, it was a big win. Keeps us afloat. And um, we'll talk posture coming up, but um, hopefully better days are ahead. I mean, there's a, no easy night in this league, but you do look back. We've we've wrapped up most of our tough road trips. So um, they should be favored in, in eight of their or in seven of their last eight games here mm-hmm. the rest of the way. So we'll, we'll see what that means, of course. But yeah, it's, a, it's an exciting you know time. We got a three game homestand coming up, so they got a chance to to get to put the metal put the pedal down a little bit and see where they go this week. Um, JMU, Hofstra, Northeastern, all at all the deck. So busy week in Drexel basketball, but should be a fun one. Which, by the way, uh, oh, go ahead, Derek. I'm sorry. Sorry. Uh, expect the unex- unexpected the CAA, not only from Drexel, but from all the other teams. There was, you know, Northeastern knocking off, I believe it was Towson the other day. Some real, some upsets come along. And uh, one thing I've noticed about the Drexel Delaware rivalry is it seems like, regardless of how good the teams are, they always seem to split. So I had no reason to think Drexel was going to win that game the other day, other than the intangible. I had to, you know, yeah, they lost up here. Delaware was dominant. Went down there. That well, we split every year. So mm-hmm. I think that's what happened. And I think uh, I feel good about the Hofstra game on Thursday. We'll talk about that for sure. I, at Delaware, I think them missing Painter, to be honest with you, took any shot they had. This is just not a different team without him. Uh, you're, they're really, they're really going to struggle, I think, without him for a little bit here. So we'll see how fast they can get him back. But that's going to be a difference maker in the conference race for sure. Yeah. Um, but it's, I think it's Zach Spiker's first win at Delaware. For all the folks who say he can't win on the road, I think this is actually this was his tenth conference win since he since he was here. Conference road win. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, so it took some time to get there. I will admit, but the teams, those are good teams winning on the road, bad teams don't. He had bad teams for his first few years here. He's the wins are coming along pretty frequently now. So I'm, I'm I don't believe in the road thing, um, and I think that this team's moving in the right direction. But really nice to get a road win against a top contender, even if Painter was missing. And he avoided yeah. his hundredth lo- Drexel loss that day. Yeah, huh? I don't know. First of many wins at Delaware. Hopefully, we'll we'll see. But um, yeah, yeah, so sure. um, so we'll, we'll talk about the women next, and um, and then I, I want to spend a brief time. I know we've off and on talked about marketing, and actually a lead into that. Um, so if you're looking at the scoreboards today, the next Drexel home game is Thursday night against Hofstra. But I think we all know the next Drexel home game is Monday night against James Madison. Um, so we'll talk about that in a second, but, um, but the bottom line is, um, so, uh, Drexel wins basketball, two games over the weekend. I, what I was doing, I was like, where are my notes? And, and I guess what I realized is, um, yeah, th- these games were, were pretty straightforward as far as, uh, what happened. So, um, so Friday night, uh, we hosted UNC Wilmington and, and just took it to them. It was 72 39 was the final score. Um, yeah, there were stretches of this game. I think it went almost like a, if you added it up, it was like a, a, a full quarter of the game where UNC Wilmington didn't score at all. Um, it's been a rough year for them. They had, I don't know, they're winless in the conference this year. So basically they did what you're supposed to do against a team like that. Um, and it was just a balanced night, you know, and I, I had an I had one of her better games and she had 19 points and she let us, but Kishana got her 15, Brugler got her 13, Leonard got her 10. Um, it was just, you know, we just, we just put the wood to them. So, uh, on, on both ends of the floor. So there's really not a whole lot else to, to say about that. Um, and then uh, went into today. Um, so uh, played College of Charleston, who um, had come off on Friday night, uh, allowed uh, Jasmine Dickey to score 52 points in that game. So I think it was like, I think this is something like the second most points ever scored be, uh, by a Delaware player behind Elena Deladon. Um, so you're kind of going there thinking either Charleston's completely demoralized and they're ready to go home or they're going to play pissed off. And I think we got the latter. Um, they played, I thought, a really good game on both ends. 
they had us down by as many as 24 points. I think it was a combination of, you know, they, 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 they were great inside, outside. Um, you know, uh, I did take notes on today. Let me find those. Um, but um, actually didn't get much out of their leading scorer in the first half. She was in foul trouble. Uh, she got two fouls pretty quick. Um, but they were going inside to Edie. Um, this was like, I think at one point in the first half, she was six of eight with 12 points. But then in another player, McGarity, they were going outside to, and she was hitting threes. Um, and then we called timeout. This was just, I, I happened to check the, the box score, but we were down 16 at that point. And we were shooting five of 21. And Kishana Washington was 0 for 5. So um, just really got off to a, a poor start shooting the ball. Um, and it, it was one of those games we just, you know, kept trying to shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot ourselves out of it. And it wasn't until really the fourth quarter that, you know, we, we adjusted. And, and Tess Brugler had kind of a rough start to the game on both ends. Uh, she was dominant. Um, I think she ended up with almost 30 points in the fourth quarter. Really kind of keyed our comeback. Um, credit Charleston, too. They, they really weren't turning the ball over until the end either. So really weren't giving us too many opportunities to get back in the game. But um, but when we found a way, I think we tied it at 66. And then um, and I, I feel bad. I, I, I haven't heard her name pronounced. I'm going to say it wrong. But their star player, their guard, um, she had two big shots late and, and made her free throws. And uh, they were able to survive. Um, but, you know, I think that the big takeaway from this game for me is, you know, we were going to lose some time. Um, you know, and I think in a sense, you know, hopefully learn, you know, I, I know we're a good shooting and we're better. We haven't been as much of a jump shooting team as maybe we have in the past. I think we've got players like Brugler and Leonard uh, who can contribute in the paint. And um, they both they just had a lot of people had a bad game today. Hannah had a bad game. Kishana shot poorly. So a lot of things contributed and Charleston played well. What are you going to do? So you learn from it, you pick up and, and move on. So um, I don't know if you guys saw any of the games or you guys had any thoughts about today or even you know, Friday night. Kind of, you know, was just part of me said, I'm glad they got it out of the way now. You can't sweep the conference and then expect to win the tournament. Just ask Jameer Nelson Sr. with his St. Louis. <laughs> they had a perfect record and they go out So in, in a 10-10 tournament. So it's like you kind of – all these games, you know, you, you erase the records come tournament time. I hope they got something out of it. That's the most important thing. Mm. On Friday, I, I didn't watch the game. I, I, I almost make this mistake every time I do this, but I, I, there's been a couple of games in Drexel basketball history. I remember just saying, I'm not going to watch this. I'm going to go do something with the wife. I'm going to do because this, this is just um, the William & Mary senior night game with Freddie Allen. Uh, with that, with Freddie, I'm blanking on his name right now. Drexel's uh, Bruiser's final year. Bruiser, I can't talk. Bruiser's final year uh, where they went to the William & Mary on senior night. With Tony Shaver, we're going to get the way forward with him with five guys, I think. And then, then, then when that game, I was like out of the mall for that one. Mm. This is when I, I said, you know, the lady should walk in the park. I think Nate's going to get his, his dream come true. He's going to get the curb stopping he needs. He got it. I mean, they, they came in there and they, they just walked all over him. Uh, but, you know, you did. You saw this one with Charles and kind of coming. I was on the road for the first three quarters of it, unfortunately. I did catch the fourth. Um, so maybe they were waiting for me to turn the TV on or something. But, the um, you know, it, it, was, it was tough with the – Girls coming off, the ladies coming off of a big win, and Charleston coming off of giving up a hundred. Now Charleston usually plays in the eighties. You know Charleston's the highest scoring team in the league, so it's not like it's crazy that they gave up a hundred points. But you know, you know, they give up a hundred points. They're in the hotel over the weekend. They're not, you know, they're there listening to their pissed off coach all weekend long. They're not going to come out here soft. And yet you saw a spot where Drexel could come in soft, coming off of a big win on a big winning streak and the whole thing. And 
you know, the, the math is all kind of there where this could go poorly. And um, I just, the fourth quarter, you know, man, they left it on the floor. They, I thought, I thought they won every loose ball I saw. They, they were, they were absolute animals in the fourth quarter and, and, and you know, it didn't come to fruition. They had dug too deep a hole, but you understand what this team can be, mm-hmm. you know, when their backs up against the wall, I think they should take a lot of pride in, in both the win streak and the performance they hit in the fourth quarter today and take, take a valuable lesson away as well. You know, I, I think that's all there is to it, but they, they cl- clearly they were the better team to me. Um, you know, it's, Charleston's no joke. They're they're like a t- one fifty or so in the net, so they're not bad. This wasn't a bad team. They lost it today. They can score, um, yeah. Even the second half, I mean, it, I mean, even that fourth quarter early on, they were still getting baskets. So, so that made it the comeback even even more impressive, honestly. So, yeah, well, that's it. I mean, the, they they score eighty something a game, and when I saw us having twenty at the half, when I checked in the halftime score on the ride. I said, you know. This this is not gonna. I don't know how mathematically they can score sixty points in two quarters. Mm-hmm. That feels like. But you know what? They scored fifty three points in two quarters. Mm-hmm. They they need they needed sixty, but <laughs> they uh, you know they, they they that's and and they didn't even start off this, the third quarter all that well. I thought they they were hooking up threes for most of the first few minutes. I think trying to take one shot to get themselves back into the game. And once they calmed down and, and kind of started running their offense a little bit more, Nate, I think you saw it. I, I didn't see the third quarter, but it feels like. They came out really, really hot, you know, hot and just trying to get back into it real fast, and then calm down. and And then once they calmed down, the, the you know the comeback was on. It was just too late. Yeah, thirty three yeah. points in the fourth quarter. That's insane. Yeah, yeah. And, and Brewer's even more of a weapon now that she's making free throws. I, I don't know how many she made in the fourth quarter, but you know she's really come a long, a long way in that area. So no, I'm I'm with you. I, you know, should be proud of that and. A lot of tough games coming up, you know, on the road. They're opposite the men. You know, the men have kind of finished all their tough road games, but now the women still – I think Northeastern next Sunday is going to be tough, and then obviously Towson and Delaware. So nice to get the loss out of the way, and it takes the pressure off if there was any from a winning streak and learn something and be ready for those games that you really need to win. So um, so it should be fun going down the stretch. So, um, so if I have – I'm going to try to be as brief as I can. I'm going to do a little – I'm going to go on a little rant here if that's okay. So um, – so today they had well, they had three promotions. Um, so they had today was uh, the play for K game, the pink game that they usually have once a year, um, and that that went seemed to went fine. They sold pink T-shirts and players wore pink and stuff like that. Um, they had a second promotion. It was supposed to be, um, and let me see if I can find it. It was, and this is coming off of the basically the um, the pregame post on DrexelDragons.com. Under promotions, the second thing uh, on the article that was posted, I think on Saturday at two five at five in the afternoon. So it says it is also Drexel Drexel's girls and women in sports celebration. The Drexel Student Athlete Advisory Com- Committee will host a pregame clinic to encourage participation in sports among the young women in the Drexel community. Participants will receive free admission to the Drexel women's basketball game. So, so this is as of Saturday. Um, and to take you back earlier in the week, I had seen this on the schedule and the promotions. I was like, well, I have a three-year-old daughter, seven-year-old son. So I'll email the, the ticket office and hey, get some information. And basically, long story short, was told um, that this is only open to people in that there's a certain, um, and, and uh, it's like West Philadelphia. I, I can't remember the full name of the organization um, that I guess that Drexel works with. and. Um, so basically only that organization, people tied in with it, could be part of this, you know, youth clinic. 
Um, so I'm like, okay, you know, but I was like, cause I was like, well, what time does it start? You know, who's eligible? Is there an age cutoff? Can my son and daughter do it? So I was asking these questions and basically the response I got was, here's the name of the organization, but your kids aren't eligible to participate. Um, I had followed up that email too, asking the next day, do you get any more information? And the email started with, as I told you in my last email, which came off as a little bit rude, to be honest. Um, so I'm like, okay, you know, this isn't getting me anywhere. Um, so I had kind of written the whole thing off. Um, but then I said to my wife, you know, before the game, I'm like, you know, I don't really see any kids here, you know, so, uh, so essentially this event, um, never happened. And I would find out then after the game, as I was finding out the other failed promotion that basically this event was canceled. So, um, despite it, so basically long story short is they had some type of event. They were advertising it as of yesterday. Uh, basically saying participants will receive free admission, um, but it was canceled and it was not passed through any social media channel of any kind. So thankfully we gave up on it. Uh, we weren't going to go to it anyway, but um, it, it was just really poorly communicated and very poorly planned. And um, hopefully that organization wasn't left kind of hanging. So that, that's my first thing. Second thing is it's also post-game autographs, so, um, which is a wonderful thing they're doing. Um, and I set this back to say, because I'm, I was really excited to see us finally making an effort to have promotions and have reasons to come to games other than just our team, which they're worthy by themselves, but you know, we're a family that likes to go to, to these types of things for the promotions. And, um, so, and it, we've got the two other post-game autograph sessions with the women, one with the men. Um, so game was over and we walked out to the lobby cause they were changing over for wrestling and they, my Evan, my son, seven pointed out that they set the tables up. Like they were going to have post game autographs. We waited, I guess it was at least 15 minutes, might've been longer. I mean, it been more like a half an hour. And finally, cause it was about two 30, um, or no, well, the game was at one. So it was, it was three 30. And, um, so I walked up to the window and, um, and I kind of said, it was finally like, all right, we're out of here. And, um, and he was like, excuse me. And I'm like, you know, do you know what the post-game autographs is going to start? And um, a gentleman who also happened to be the person who sent me the email earlier this week, who didn't communicate well with the other event, uh, told me that it was canceled and that they had announced it. Um, I don't recall any type of announcement during the game. And I checked with somebody else who's at the game uh, who said the same thing, that he thought the announcement was they were having it. Um, so I said, okay. Um, and, you know, my kids are fine, you know. Claire, my daughter, she likes to get the autographs. I printed out probably like $30 worth of photos. Um, so I had them in an envelope and basically I asked the gentleman, like, well, you know, can you at least, can you give these to the team? My address is on there. Can you have them sign it? And then I'll pick them up or mail them or something like that. Um, and he's like, okay. So I left the photos with him, but, um, but basically they went one for three on their promotions. Um, so again, I, I just bring this up. And the only reason I bring it up now is because, and I said this to my wife, we have a new athletic director. So in the past, um, you, you just kind of said, well, you know, there's not going to be any effort. Nobody really cares. Um, nobody's going to give our teams the type of environment they deserve um, and the effort they deserve to get people into the building. Uh, but there's a new sheriff in town. And I hope that, you know, by bringing some of these things up uh, that maybe, I don't know, maybe it makes a difference. So. I'll send a couple emails out tomorrow, but and I know it's a longer discussion, but again, you, you just like to see, um, you know, some follow through on these things and better communication. And if you're going to try to have a promotion, um, you got to communicate it better. So 
my rant's over. Any thoughts you have? I know we got our guests coming up, but any anything you wanted to add to that? I don't think there's anybody in the deck who wants me to respond to that because I've been working on this for like <laughs> 10, 10 years. Um, you know, I mean, listen, it's the it's the same people there who've you know, with the exception, I think, the gentleman you you dealt with, by the way, who I emailed earlier this year and uh, never heard back from. He didn't respond to me at all. So, I mean, yeah, I, I don't think this is a one-off by any means. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's not – listen, this is – we've had – um, Molly, I'm blanking on the last name. I think it was the last ticket rep, but I thought it was really, really good. But, you know, Eric and I are, are season ticket holders to Philadelphia Union. You know, this time of year, the season's about to begin, we get calls all the time. Um, I know, Nate, I think you said you got a call from Towson. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, uh, thank you. Yeah, they called me, what, Thursday, I think? Which probably left a message. I didn't talk to them. I, I didn't answer that test. But, yeah, they did. They called me. Yeah. There's, there's professional organizations and there's Drexel Athletics. I mean, at, at some point, <laughs> you, you have to call it what it is, which is yeah. they, they want to call themselves a family. And that's cool. You can be a family. You can have each other's back. But you're not. You're, you're supposed to be a professional organization. And and I think John Fry's point would be you're supposed to be, the you know, it's a marketing expense for the school. And we have people there who truly believe in that building that, that, you know, they do things for us as a, as a favor, not, not as their, their employment. Mm-hmm. And like, 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 like this is like, yeah, I can go up the wall. We I can have a much, I, I, I can meet that rant. I promise. Yeah. Uh, and then some, obviously, um, you know, it, I've, I've had discussions at length and I've taken it out of the athletic department and, and I don't know that I've gotten anywhere with them, but I'm hoping that with, with, with new AD, you know, you got to give Maisha a year to, to get her feet wet and see what's going on, but that she can read the room. And if she can't read this room, to be honest with you, I have other concerns, but I think she'll be able to read that room. I, I expect, you know, um, you know, athletics was, was under somebody new two years ago. They, you know, John Fry put new czar in front of a charge of athletics, gave it a year and, and there was a new athletic director. I'm kind of waiting to see if, if, if we don't see a similar transformation here. Um, but yeah, it's it's not good. It's not good to be last in attendance year after year. It's not good to have had the attendance fall more than more rapidly than any other school in our conference over a ten year time period. It's not good that you have the same people in charge that whole time, yeah. right? I mean, this is just very easy metrics where anybody who's, who's paying attention has to say there's a problem here. Yeah. So if, if yeah, there's a problem here. And I'll leave it at that. I go back to 1988, and let's just—I'll—I'll I'll simplify my answer. Let's just say athletics is not a priority of Drexel, and they—they they have other things in mind. It doesn't excuse what happened to you and your family today, Nate. Uh, but if you look around the rest of this conference, and I, as they go to different buildings around the league, as I see the different crowds that go to these games, and this is probably just a whole topic for another day. We go a whole podcast on this. It just—it's just not in our culture. But what you had today shouldn't happen. If you're going to promise it, well, you do it. And if you don't, you communicate it. And to me, it seemed like they just had totally disregard for their own promotion. They didn't take their own promotion seriously. You just don't yeah. do that. And my kids are fine. And it's, I did make sure when I went up and talked to that gentleman that my daughter and her princess dress and you know, was standing there. So he kind of knew. But they're, they're fine. You know, like I said, we, and so I said to my wife, you know, I, I did not renew our Penn State season tickets. It's $2,300, which I'm looking to spend elsewhere. I like to see Drexel act, act like they would, are interested in some of that money. But again, today has me kind of second guessing that. So, uh, but I look hey. forward to seeing some Philadelphia Union games, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But rant, rant is over. So, um, but anyway, but um, we'll, we're going to take a, a short break here and we're going to try to bring our guest on and we'll be right with you here.
All right, we're back, and we're joined now by Jerry Beach. Uh, Jerry, I, I wear a hat for all of these podcasts, and you'll note, I know that this is an audio-only format. It's great, but I'm not wearing a hat today, and it's because, uh, in your honor, I pulled out this guy, um, which is um, which, which uh, is old enough. For oh, that's folks great. who can't see this, this is a black uh, Is that a New World Series hat? hat? Is that a World and Series 2000 hat? Look at this. It? Look at this. Oh, he, he knows it. He recognized, yes. So it doesn't fit on my head anymore, Jerry. I, I sweated through it, and my haircut hasn't been cut in a while, so I cannot wear it. What are you doing wearing a Mets hat? What are you doing wearing a Mets hat? Wait, is... wait, wait. This is burying the lead here. Enough Hofstra, enough Drexel. What's Dan Crane doing wearing a Mets hat? <laughs> uh, that's my, that was my first love. My first sports love was really? the New York Mets. I, I, it's really? I got to come out in this podcast. But, yeah, when I was I grew up in Central Jersey, my first baseball wow. game was, at, was actually at the Vet. At the Vet, wow. and I was rooting for the Mets. Wow. So, um, so I met Philly fanatic that day, and I became a baseball Damn. fan, and kind of a partial Phillies fan. But um, yeah, I was and a, then a, and then a big, big John Franco guy, right? as you know, as big John Franco guy. Well, then I moved to Massachusetts, and I moved to Massachusetts in '88, right? And the oh. the Mets weren't very popular up there in '88. No, no, still um, <laughs> Right. So I were. Long I think number. I remember we moved in January, and I I had a you know I was I was six man, I was six, yeah. and I walked into this um, gas station with my Mets jacket on. The middle of January, and the dude was like, "I wouldn't wear that around here." Like I was six. I'm six years old. And and I I, I got with the program pretty quick up there, and, and started wearing my Red Sox starter jacket that you know I replaced every time I've gone grown up grown up another size. Red Sox starter jacket. In the closet, but fantastic. Um, That's awesome. So yeah, this is Jerry Beach, though. This is the author of. This is off, also off my bookshelf. Look at this. I That's came across awesome. Thank the Subway you. series, which, which is a great read. I appreciate and, that. Thank uh, you. Jerry, can you tell us? I uh, just want to introduce yourself to the crowd. Yeah, yeah, I'm. Uh, uh, I'm the Hofstra guy, as everybody knows. Uh, the funny thing is, uh, like Dan, I, I've got. I didn't come from the area which I now call home. I'm from uh, Northwest Connecticut, uh, where I, me and my best buddy, uh, were the only Met fans in '86. And let me tell you, that was that was that looked like a lonely existence with two outs and nobody on the bottom of the tenth inning. And uh, my dad. Who's, who says he's going to listen to this? So shout out to my dad, Jerry Beach Senior. Um, he, he says we're watching the game together, and he's like, "You're not crying, are you?" I'm like, "No." I'm like 13. Like my world is over, right? And then then they uh, and then and then they scored, and the tears were joy, which uh, didn't happen again. Tying all together until 2020. Uh, by the which point, of course, uh, I went to a community college back home for two years after high school, transferred to Hofstra because my thinking was I'm going to go to Division One school. Uh, at the time, we were barely in Division One, the East Coast Conference. Uh, but then Jay Wright arrived in '94, and Speedy Claxton in '96. And as we're going to talk about later, point guard you uh, for a quarter century now. Uh, so yeah, so you know, big, big Hofstra guy, and you know, kind of love following the team back when I was a student, and um, it just st- stayed like, like as with you guys, uh, stayed a passion afterwards. Uh, I've been in and out of sports writing for for the bulk of my career. Uh, it's, it's a treacherous, treacherous, tre- tre- treacherous business, but I uh, try to make the best of it. And, uh, I, I appreciate Dan picking up the book. Uh, I've written three books and the subway series came out in uh, April, 2020, which was not the best time for a book to come out, uh, in terms of publicity and tours, but people have nothing else to do but read at that point. So, but yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I like to call, uh, you know, CDA and Hofstra my wintertime passion. And then at some point, hopefully baseball starts again. And, and, uh, that, that's my spring and summertime. Uh, pursuits. So uh, yeah, uh, glad to be here. Thanks for having me on, and really looking forward to talking Hofstra and maybe some baseball. 
yeah, I uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about Hall of Fame inductions at some point. I hope. Awesome. But we'll awesome. Um, we'll get right now to um, to the CA and all anybody wants to talk about before we talk about on the court is obviously realignment and the, the, the announcement that was made last week. And uh, I think we've we've had Mike Brodsky on, who's kind of given us a, a good overview of of where the conference kind of wants to move to as far as potentially divisions and Olympic sports and so forth and so on. We had Brian Moore come on and give us kind of a southern viewpoint. Um, and, and kind of walk us through prospects that could, could be joining the league from down there and, and, again, help us out with a bit of an overview. I think Hofstra, and, and the great thing about having you on right here, is because they have they seem uniquely involved here. Stony Brook, obviously, yeah. is almost a partnership there. And then the Mammoth is also, you know, it's, it's around the corner. I feel like they've they've gained the most probably yeah. as far as geography goes, certainly, in, in the shuffle. Yeah, it's, uh, it's fascinating. And... Um... First of all, me following Brodsky and Maul, feel like a slap hitting singles hitter trying to lay down a bunt just to uh, <laughs> hope to keep to keep the line moving after those guys. There's nothing wrong so, with that uh, in Japan, so that's actually a, I'm glad to hear that. So the, the, the bunting competition, the All Star game, right? The bunting skills. Um, but yeah, so so um, it, it's interesting, and to me, I, I think I've said this Dan in, in our you know uh, uh, chats offline. To, to me. It's very telling, <clears throat> excuse me, that this this um, particular expansion with Stony Brook happened so quickly after Hofstra had a change in presidency. Um, uh, I know President Rabinowitz was, you know, he didn't want to share Long Island uh, with Stony Brook. You know, obviously Hofstra has, uh, you know, it's an older program. There's Division One. has always been a little bit ahead, a little big brother, little brother, sibling rivalry there, which you know, I've I've engaged in uh, full disclosure there, uh, but it's really it's really telling to me that uh, Hofstra had a change in administration. I think last August, and this seemed to be fast tracking. This, this 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 happened fast, didn't it? This you know they they, they seem to um, you know 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 what they want to do, and like you said, you know, real it's like a real united front. And I you know I think you know, ever since March 2020, like you know, heck with regional. Um, you know, one school doesn't like school A and like school B. Look, it's everyone's got to figure out a way to to make things work now. And I think it's great that you know, Hofstra Stony Brook, you know, it's going to save a lot of money. I hope for both schools and create a pretty good, uh, you know, like like you said, good division, good divisional alignment. And like up here for in terms of just you know, um, I guess getting attention. If Hofstra and Stony Brook are playing for the CA championship. At Nassau Coliseum, uh, it's going to get more attention than if Hofstra's playing Drexel or Wilmington or Northeastern in Baltimore or DC. Uh, for two programs who still rely on legacy media to get the, get a lot of attention, it's a big deal. Um, and if they can both be, you know, playing each other for seeding late in the season or playing each other in the tournament, whether it's you know second uh, second third round or, or championship. Um, this this is really a, I think a good deal for both schools because it's going to get them more attention if both teams are you know competing uh, for the championship at the same time. Yeah, I'm glad you noted the bit about uh, you know obviously the change in leadership at Hofstra. Yeah. There's, there's a change in athletic director, I guess, at Stony Brook as well. I don't think that really moved the needle. You know, I, no, I have to no, think no. it was the Hofstra end of things. Yeah, yeah, it, it was definitely our end of things. And, and uh, like I said, um, <laughs> I, I've engaged in the Hofstra Stony Brook, you know. Uh, big brother, little brother stuff on Twitter, and like you know, five years ago, I was like, "No, oh, keep them out. Heck with that. Just enjoy the American least, losers." Ha! Ah. But now look at you know, it's uh, 
you get older and you start to disregard some of this stuff. Like I said, you know, once once we all knew this thing wasn't going away, it just makes sense. You know, I mean, we need more bus leagues. <laughs> you know, um, uh, you know, like, like I'm sure it'll come up, but like just look at the Sun Belt. That's going to be holy smokes. I remember those few weeks in in the March and April of May of 2020, we thought, you know, the, the Catholic USA alignments and all that were going to fall by the wayside. It doesn't seem like it's happening. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I, I think it's good. I, I, you know, I like, you know, what Brian and Mike were saying, you know, it's clearly going towards a clear division, North and South and keep most of your games in those divisions. I'd imagine by next year. And then, you know, of course, give me for the tournament. So I think it's great. Uh, you know, like I said, and we as Hofstra have never had a local rival. We got Drexel, we got Delaware, Towson, Northeast, we play all the time and they're fun, but I'll tell you this, Crank, you guys, Drexel, Delaware, you know what deal? <laughs> we don't really have that. We've got big deals because Northeastern has been a great rival for a few years, back to that championship games, Wilmington, William Mary, but there's never been a real regional rival where bragging rights are at stake. Now there is. That's pretty cool. Now, that's a great point I really thought of. I mean, it is. It's. It's. You don't have we, – we talked about – one of these days, but we talked about the challenge of a road trip where, where Hofstra and Northeastern are travel partners, but they're actually four hours apart. So, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a fun trip for, you know, to Elon to fly up to Boston and then drive four hours to Long Island and then fly, you know, it's, that's nobody's idea of a good time. And now, you know, it'll make things easy, easier for your conference space. But more importantly, it, it provides a, you know, yeah, somebody who's local for you guys who, who is a rival because you're right. I mean, it's, it, there's never been a natural one. I guess Northeastern still doesn't have one. So, It'll be another discussion for another day, but yeah. We're looking forward to it. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's it's going to be fun. No, that's very cool. And and listen, we may we may see you know one more team slide in, and I think probably the leaders in the clubhouse right now that you know from the rumblings and everything else, Albany or Quinnipiac, and my my yeah. kind of gut tells me Quinnipiac has the money today, and that if the CA came to them, they would want to make the jump. So my my, my feeling is that something. Finances wouldn't be the problem there. My, my, yeah, you know, they've been definitely, definitely not Quinnipiac. You're not, you're not fielding yeah. a, a top five, I think they're top five hockey, right? Hockey ain't cheap. <laughs> you can, and they build up from nothing. Uh, if you're yeah, doing what they're they doing, a ton hockey, of money into yeah. coaching staffs recently and everything else. So, uh, yeah, I don't Horrific think. facilities, yeah. I think they, if they wanted money. to be there, they'd be here now. So, yeah. you're, you're thinking maybe I'm leaning, it's Albany's probably the one we're maybe waiting on. Yeah, um, I heard from somebody uh, that uh, you know Albany issued like a, a supportive statement about you know Stony Brook and great rivals, the state university battle. Somebody I was talking to was saying they're slow playing this. <laughs> you know, they're they're kind of like you know we're, we're next. You know, they're kind of like oh put up you know say say oh yeah we'll miss you that that but kind of like the whole it, they the, the sense from this person I talked to is that they might be you know if there's thirteen to fourteen, they're thirteen or fourteen. You made a great is, point in in uh, your blog post last week uh, <clears throat> is uh, defiantlydutch.blogspot.com. But uh, he still wrote blogspot old school. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and 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 Jerry, you wrote this better than I could. Uh, it's not close. Um, but uh, you were talking about James Madison as they made their last trip to to, to Hofstra this this week. Highly recommend anybody go out there and read it. But you know the the one thing you noted in there that this was like the least secret departure. 
yeah. of Secret Departures, right? Like kind of everybody saw this coming. JMU's been antagonizing years. people for a couple of years right now, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, which is the reason why, again, they knew they didn't have the votes. I'm going to say this don't put in the face. They knew the student athletes were never going to be able to play this year. They knew that the entire time. They've been pissing off their league mates for years. Yeah. Um, but really well written. But, you know, this feels like not the same thing in that um, Albany's not antagonizing their league mates. Right. You do kind right. of feel like this is the secret that's not a secret. Yeah. And like, as they found out, uh, Starbuck found out, they can't play in the tournaments, which really sucks for them. Um, and, and I think we're all in agreement that that rule sucks. Um, it should be changed. As I wrote, July 1st, 2022, 9 a.m., get Stony Brook, Monmouth, Hampton, in a room, hopefully in a real room, <laughs> get 12 presidents, vote that, and get rid of that rule. Because co- co- everybody's going to cover their own butts at some point. But um, yeah, so all, all, like I said, about Albany, like Albany, you know, a kind of a congenial, collegial farewell to their conference mates. Maybe they're thinking, give us a few months. You know, maybe, maybe, we, maybe, we, maybe we, being Albany, can get in in May, like Mason the VCU did, right? Way back when they left for the A10 and didn't and only lost out on some, uh, I should say only, but minimized the losses that they absorbed in terms of conference tournament championships uh, that they compete for. So yeah, so like I said, I, I heard, you know, some, you know, Albany's, you know, not quite a star course. You know, I, I don't think it surprised anybody if they if they came in as the next North School. And then of course, there's you guys have talked about somebody else would come from the South. So we'll see. It's gonna be interesting. I, I just don't understand why these teams don't wait until March to to make the announcement. I know. I know. I guess I guess some of the problem with uh, Madison was you got to get ready for football schedules and fall schedules. Um. So, and, you know, like I know the Old Dominion, uh, they left a year ahead of time. They they played the whole year as a lame duck. I think maybe not so maybe that, that that summer. It was a long time. I know that you know. I think it was not earlier than Madison. Like, um. So I, I think it might have to do with the football jumping from one. I always call it one double A from uh, uh, FCS to FBS. Um, that could be it. You know, I mean, there's a lot of moving parts over there at the Sun Belt. Um, you know, bet way back when when the, when all of ours all of, um all our alma mater's left. It was about mid-year, I want to say. Dan, I don't think you were at school yet, were you? In 2000? Were you guys at Drexel yet? Uh, I was a freshman uh, a week after 9-11. Okay, so, so you weren't there yet. Before me, but yeah. The schools got in um, in 2000, the two, during the 2001 season. Um, the four schools went, and they're supposed to go in 03 and then it te- typically tends to happen. You know, it makes sense for nobody wants to do a year and a half as a lame duck. So they, they uh, I think it was April of '01 that that they agreed to to move everybody starting in the fall. So um, yes, so when our schools uh, moved, it was mid year, but it also didn't have the build up <laughs> that that Madison's did. Like you said, we knew it was going to happen at some point. That football program, uh, they wanted to take it higher, and that was going to. You know those as those aspirations kind of telegraph the whole thing, so uh, you know it was no surprise what happened, and I think there's just so many balls in the air that they couldn't you know get out in Mar- March or you know April I guess or be their best point because best chance because their softball team was going to the tournament. Softball team came within a win of making the uh, World Series finals last year, so what they were really trying to preserve was was the basketball programs, and as we know, uh, you know it didn't come close to happening there. That news was out. You know, months ago. So, yeah. But like I said, I, I hope when when the new leadership convenes, new membership convenes, that you know they scrap that rule because uh, it'll benefit somebody down the road. 
you know, because this isn't the last time we're going to have uh, a school exiting uh, the league for sure. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, it's a terrible rule for the student athletes who have oh. nothing to do with any of this. Uh, I figured out the other day that, too invested. Yeah, I figured out the other day that a freshman student athlete at Madison right now uh, was was a fourth grader, which is my daughter's age. It was the last time this was this, this was an issue, 2013, the Old Dominion. That's crazy. I mean, you're talking about a rule that that has been on the books forever, and um, and these and these kids have a finite amount of time to compete for championships. And I, I, I really hope, you know, like I said, 2022, July, they get together and scrap that rule and, and it'll make for easier exits down the road when they happen. But we'll see. Do, do people miss football up there? Because, I mean, I got to, to Drexel 2002. <laughs> yeah, then, and then I, it, they play Lehigh, I think, in the playoffs one year. I'm trying to remember yeah. who the quarterback was. And I, I think, I mean, Northeastern football I don't know much about, but Hofstra football I knew. So do people miss it up there? And has it helped? I mean, or what up, here, up here, you know, it's <laughs> it's uh, like with you guys. It's a uh, – <laughs> what was that? I missed that. What was that? What Eric have there? Is that a Hofstra bear? <laughs> yeah, he's Eric. You're on mute, but the uh, the uh, so this is a William Kate. probably got Willie and Kate here today. Oh, yes, that's William. awesome! You're doing a show. This, this awesome. is vintage 1990. Wow, even I don't have one of those. And a, wow. a Speedy Claxton signed Speedy Gonzalez when he was with the Philadelphia 76. That's amazing. You buried the lead here. This is a bigger <laughs> burying the lead than Crane being a Met fan. That's I was amazing. just saying, we, we've got the Mets fan coming out on this podcast and the surprise Hofstra, you know, the disclaimer there. Eric, what's your disclaimer? My wife went to Hofstra. So, right okay. Right. okay. She's class of awesome. 90. Yeah. Speedy Clax and Speedy Gonzalez. That is awesome. Um, <laughs> but, but, but to answer your question, like up here, as you guys know, in the metro area, you got to, you know, it's hard to get a toehold uh, with casual fans. Um, and, you know, there, when, when Hofstra football got dropped, there was a predictable, uh, I, was a, I guess, predictable uproar, and but it didn't last very long. Um, and you know, the problem—I said the problem—but one of the problems, uh, perception-wise, is when I was a student, the, um, the stadium expanded from seventy-five hundred to fifteen thousand because the president, when I was there, was Dr. James Stewart, who played football at Hofstra after serving in World War II, so he was obviously very invested. Um, our biggest booster at the time, the late Joe Margiata, played football with J- Dr. Stewart, very invested. And they got Joe Gardy, who was a terrific coach. Um, so they had, I don't think they thought they'd go 1A, uh, but I think they thought they'd go higher, you know, than the, what ended up being the Yankee Conference slash A10 slash CAA. They had pretty big aspirations. So they went from 75 to 15. And then you know, they, they, they were playing, they, they were playing to six, seven, eight, nine thousand people for a while. And then Dr. Stewart retired in 01. President Rabinowitz came in, didn't like the football team. And we have talked about it. And, you know, I was told in like 03, I want to say. Uh, I was talking to an old football player at a, at a, at a Red, Sox, Red Sox Yankee game. And he was like, I think he's there to, to try and, you know, get rid of the program. I'm like, yeah, I can't do that. So we got, you know, we're only not even a decade into 1AA. You know, we made a bunch of playoffs. We got a great tradition. We got Wayne Corbett playing. We got, I don't think Colston was a pro yet by that point. We had a bunch of guys came from there. Lance Schulters, that's not going to happen. And then, you know, atrophied, and six years later it happened. So for the diehards, the alums like me and my wife and, and you know, those of us who went to school in the 90s when Wayne Corbett went, it's a big deal to us. I don't think it's a big deal to 
you know, a student who, again, going back to what I was saying about an old Dominion kid, uh, a James Madison student, was in fourth grade when this rule, rule is invoked about old Dominion exiting. Well, Hofstra has been a football team since the 2009 season. So that's 13 years this fall. She's a college freshman, you know, wasn't, wasn't even in school yet when we last time Hofstra played football. So I have a, you know, I'll always hope. And I know for a fact there's a lot of money among the football alums that disappeared when the program disappeared. Uh, and if it came back, uh, that money would come back. And it's not just the money they associate with the NFL guys. They had a lot of guys my age are doing really well uh, outside of football. But, you know, football is just, you know, they called it, somebody called it, when Hofstra was playing it, it was like uh, a, a source in Newsday said it was, uh, uh, dig a hole in the ground, throw money down there, cover it up. It's a lot of money. And if you're not getting a lot of return on your investment in terms of interest and things like that, it's hard to bring back. Um, and I always, you know, especially now, look at it. It's, I think we all know more about, about the dangers of football now than we did 13 years ago. And I think it's probably a little bit harder to, to, to build a program up. Uh, that's one of the reasons why, one of the many reasons I think it'd be hard to build a program up. But I, you know, I hold out hope that it'll happen. But you know, it's kind of like a a pie in the sky type of dream. Um, but so we miss it. But do the casual people miss it? I hate to say it, but no. Got to be honest, no. You know. And that uh, quarterback, it, by the way, Rocky Butler in Lehigh. <laughs> Nate smiling, shaking his head. That's great. So I'm gonna hit you one more off off the court, and then we'll we'll, we'll slide on gradually, although quickly. Um, the um, the, the other one I had for you, you're at home and you're on Long Island and you're watching TV. Is the Stony Brook game anywhere on the dial? Are they televised locally? When Stony Brook versus Hofstra or Stony Brook versus Team XYZ? Versus Team XYZ versus Albany. Mm, no. I mean, I think, I, think they're, I think they're ESPN Plus. So are you talking like linear TV? Like, you know, old, I, was, old I was talking TV? linear. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no. No, they're um, Hofstra has been getting some of their games on on yeah, linear yeah. TV, correct? Yeah, we've been SNY. I think tomorrow we're CBS Sports Network with the woman to make up. Uh, yes, the Thursday we're SNY. Uh, yeah, Hofstra's doing pretty well. Hofstra's um, you know created some uh, program opportunities with with SNY, so every little bit helps. I mean, like I said, this, this is, goes back to the Stony conversation. You know, these our programs uh, on Long Island still. Really rely on that legacy media. Like I was just thinking, uh, like you know, let's just say for again, Hofstra plays Stony Brook in the semifinals of championship. Um, Channel Four in New York City. Bruce Beck uh, is a big local sports guy. You know, he'd talk about it on the night news. And that's a big deal to Hofstra and Stony Brook. So, for, uh, you know, so for Hofstra to get that um, good slot, you know, at a four o'clock slot on a Saturday afternoon, and uh, you know, you know, a couple million homes, that, that's a big deal. Um, Stonebrook has had some SNY deals, I believe, but I don't think they do right now. I don't think they do right now. All right, so so we'll flip it over. I, I have a note here, uh, and I want you to walk me through twenty years of Hofstra history. Tell me how, <laughs> after Lauren Stokes and Carlos Rivera, um, yeah. they've had managed to have a Player of the Year caliber guard every, every single year. year. It feels like yeah. for twenty years among under yeah. four different coaches. But yeah. uh, I'm going to put that to the side for right now, in the interest of time. We'll get you back at some point. Um, when you can treat, tell, tell me exactly what Drexel's doing wrong. Um, you got a good one from our backyard right now, that's for sure. 
Yeah. Well, when we do get good ones, they're from your backyard. I, 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 we, we, we've had some good New York guards here in this school, uh, Chris Fouch and, and certainly Cam. Um, but uh, let me, let's go see a play right now real quick, which is, is which one's a bigger surprise for you? This is a fun question for me. Wilmington <clears throat> or Northeastern? Um, I, that's a good question. Um, I'd probably say Wilmington just because Northeastern, you know, they had, they've had a bunch of injuries. I thought Pridget would be a player of the year, a first team player, of the year, first team, obviously a guy. And when they didn't get him, uh, Pridgen from Wilmington, when he didn't get cleared, I thought it was a huge loss for them. Uh, I'm, I'm, nothing will surprise me more than Northeastern starting 0 10. That's Northeastern. But in terms of you know, in terms of them scuffling and having a down year for the first time in a while, you know, it just kind of you could kind of feel it. You know, they had some injuries and like I said, missed, uh, not getting Joe eligible was a big dent for them. Um, Wilmington's just a, probably a little more of a surprise just because, and again, you can't, you shouldn't, we shouldn't uh, base anything on what we saw last year in such a quirky, uh, you know, unfortunately quirky year. But, you know, they. You know, they were in last place. Uh, they overhauled the whole roster, as we know, last spring. And, like, almost immediately, uh, you know, they had a bunch of guys hit the portal. And so I thought, okay, you know, this is, you know, Takayo is, you know, this is this is his new year. This is, year, you know, I think someone said to him in the Zoom last week, you know, everyone gets a z- year zero. He had to wait a year because of the pandemic. I think we all thought this was his year, kind of bring his guys in, build a foundation, take their lumps. But. You know, he knew he clearly had had the right thing in mind, overhauling what he did and what he did, and they won a few games that you know they got, you know they got great that great buzzer beater, they beat Towson overtime, and you know, they won a few games that you know probably would have gone another way, uh, could have gone another way, and then before you know you're ten and zero, um, so I'd say Wilmington's a little bit more of a surprise, uh, just because I I kind of saw Northeastern kind of starting to scuff a little bit. But, you know, nothing surprised. Like I said, Northeastern being winless half the season, <laughs> I don't think any of us saw that coming. You know, that, that's hard. That's hard to fathom. Even even now that they've got a win, it's hard to fathom that, you know? Yeah. yeah. So it feels like, you know, four or five teams have kind of separated themselves from the pack at this point in the CAA. It's, it's, it's Towson, it's Wilmington, it's Hofstra, and then Drexel and Delaware. Although, if you know, we'll see what Dylan Painter's injury looks right. like because that's, right. that's critical for them, right? That's a big deal, um, yeah. Who, you know, handicapped those top four besides Delaware for me? Where, where do you kind of put them? I'm still, you know, I told someone on Thursday night after Towson just wiped the floor with Hofstra. It really, really thoroughly beat them. And um, I said to somebody, I said, this is Towson is, to me, Hofstra in 2020. If not now, when? Uh, you know, Hofstra always had the great, you know, Hofstra always had the pieces, but that zone defense just wasn't, was never quite strong enough. And then the 2020, Joe had, a bunch of fourth and fifth year guys who played to perfection and, 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 uh, and they were able to get over the top. Um, you know, the way Pat Scary overhauled his team and, you know, it's finally no longer 2011 <laughs> with a bunch of bangers and, you know, living off of missed shots and it's got, you know, uh, Gibson and Timberlake were just, you know, killing off from outside and a terrific shooting team. Cam Holden had seven and 10 the other night and they weren't going away. Um, they got, they got the thousand toughness and they've got, they've got, a great offense. Um, so I'm still, I know they lost to Northeastern yesterday as our good friend, Mike Litos had wrote, wrote when VCU lost twice a year, you get your ass kicked just cause you got your ass kicked. And that to me is a thousand loss yesterday. I'm not reading anything into it. Northeastern wasn't going 0 18. There's no way in hell that was happening. 
they just, you know, on the back end of a trip, they ran into a, a, a you know, a hungry, angry team, and they lost. So I'm still picking Towson. I still think they're my number one uh, at the moment. Like I said, I'm a little, probably a little biased because I saw them beat Hofstra handily twice, and I think Hofstra probably, you know, uh, is probably, if not the most talented team in the league, second most talented team. And they really, a little while in the second half on, on Thursday night where Hofstra gave them a run. They were down 12, tied it up right away, but they couldn't get over the hump. So I'm still, I'm still Towson. I'm still, you know, I, I'd still, you know, uh, ride them. If uh, would you call the other day with Elon your stock, Elon stock? You're picking Elon, right? Yeah. Yeah. If I had stock, I'd, uh, that's my dad too, retired stockbroker. Hi, dad. Um, I, I'd, I'd be, uh, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd we, we all could have bought low in Towson. They were really low at the start of the year. Uh, I select them. Number two at this point, like I said, you asked me Thursday, I would have said Hofstra's been five or six, but uh, I don't know if you guys were able to see uh, any of yesterday's game. Great game against Madison. Um, Aaron Estrada just took it over. Like, he's Charles Jenkins, who's in the crowd, and Justin Foreman, who's in the crowd as well. 35 and seven or something like that, 35 points, seven assists. Um, he, he's, he's a guy that can put a team on his shoulders and carry him. And if Jalen Ray is hitting threes, if Zach Crooks is hitting threes, you know, Hofstra's hasn't been a great shoot three point, great three point shooting team this year, but they've got the capability to become one. Um, so I, I'd probably say Towson Hofstra. Uh, I just Wilmington to me feels like like a Mason, and I think Mason was 2010. Yeah, 2010. They got that great start, like nine and zero, and then they, they finished like twelve and six or nine and one and twelve and six. I, I don't think Wilmington will finish twelve and six, but I just kind of feel like you know they, they had you know they they. Uh, uh, and really, you know, things went really went really went their way. I think they're going to uh, slip a little bit. Um, and Drexel, Drexel to me is I'd put Drexel third right now because to me, you know, you're the champ until somebody punches you in the jaw and knocks you out. And Drexel, Drexel's the champ, and they brought those, uh, most of those guys back. And if they're getting to be healthy, it looks like they are. You know, this could be another case where Zach kind of, you know, uses February to kind of get his. Get his guys lined up and, and get him get him hot and hopefully don't have to do what they did last year play that one game and remember that of course you can remember that but one game in Madison set the whole total of the season right if you guys lose that game in the out bracket and you got hot there and you rolled you know it you know Drexel feels like to me they can do the same thing this year to some degree get hot and have that championship expertise so I, like I said right now I'd probably go Towson Drexel I'm sorry Towson Hofstra Drexel Wilmington and like to me the wild card as you said is Delaware if Painter's okay in a week. You know, throw them into that top four for sure, because that's the most experienced team in the league um, for uh, the first time in a long time. We've seen Delaware have great uh, guys coming back and they transfer or go pro. Finally, they got guys to stick and they got, got other 50 year COVID guys. They all stayed. So hopefully, Painter's okay because he can really make a difference for them and, uh, and make a difference in, in, this, in this great race and this, what's going to be, you know, really a wide open and exciting tournament. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I think you. I'm probably in mock step with you here. I, I do. I mean, I, I think I don't hate where Drexel's sitting. I'm excited to see uh, tomorrow's game for a number of reasons. Mostly, um, you know, Wilmington is for those who don't know. Wilmington is is in, in Long Island tomorrow. They've got Hofstra, um, big game obviously for both teams, and I think Hofstra's a favorite here in my head. Um, I, I, if Ken not, Palm, no, Ken Palm has them by nine, right? Ken yeah, well, Ken, Ken nine, Palm still adjusted for the fact that they had ranked, you know, Wilmington was ranked like 300 coming into this, so they're still catching up. I know. But, I'm curious um, to see what the bookies have to say tomorrow. I'm curious to see what the lines yeah. are. 
it'll be really interesting to see see what they're thinking. I, I think, um, but that's a big you know decider the rest of the way. And it's it'll, if it's if Wilmington wins that game, we're gonna have to back off this and say they're they're real. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, they're for real. I, I, I just, do. I think I that's think, tough. Yeah, they're um, for real for sure. Think, but I just think you know they're gonna come down a little bit, and I think it's you know. Hofstra's, you know, I think, I think it's, I think it's really probably a two-team race for the one seed, just because Towson swept Hofstra. I don't see even Towson loses to Delaware in the finale, you know, that that resumption game. I don't see Hofstra making up that ground on Towson. That's they got to get, you know, I got to make up two or three games on them to, to catch up. So, if yeah, Wilmington I, wins I, tomorrow, I like you said, yeah. Wilmington, Rio for a uh, as as a front runner for the conference, you know, to, to yeah. win the regular season title. I think they, that's that's what they are if they win tomorrow. Um, yeah, it, you know, if not, I think they're 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 in a tough spot for that. Um, but yeah, I think it's it'll be a fun one to watch. Yeah, Nate. Yeah, look, um, look what, Jerry, what are your thoughts on Hofstra's front court? I mean, obviously their backcourt and Estrada torched us, but I guess that would be yeah. my only question. What do you what do you think about those guys? Right now, they've got they've got a rotation going with Eziola, who starts, and Jared Simmons, the pen transfer, who uh, started the year as a starter and then got hurt five minutes of the Houston game and missed two months. Um, I, I think they, they're still kind of figure, trying to figure that one out. I thought Eziola kind of established himself as 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 the guy, but uh, Speedy's really been playing, um, doing a rotation, uh, about 20, 22 and 18, 23 and 17 in favor of Eziola. Um, the guy I like, the guy I'd like to see uh, play a lot at the four is uh, Darlingstone Dubar, um, who, who's who's a I think he's listed at six five, really broad guy. Um, uh, and he shoots outside a lot and hasn't hasn't had a ton of success for the last couple of games. Uh, yesterday in particular, uh, they ran a couple of pick and rolls for him, and he, and he was finishing them off pretty easily under there. Um, so yeah, so so you know, right now, like I, said, I thought kind of Eziola kind of established himself as the guy. They're get working Simmons in. They're both a little, um, you know, it's kind of like I think Speedy's trying to find a way to to utilize ten fouls there. You know, that they, they both kind of get in a little bit of foul trouble. Um, you know, against against Amari Williams, uh, that that that's you know they're going to need those guys uh, for forty minutes uh, and and less than ten fouls um, because because uh, you know these be quite quite the hand him and Butler be quite the handful uh, in a few days when, when we see guys down there. So yeah, like their front court, you know, isn't isn't um, you know, the last few years they've actually as you guys know they've had a, done really well. They had Isaac Conte, the Georgia transfer, the year they won, and then last year. Uh, and then uh, he transferred. He went took his fifth year at LIU, um, and Ezio's got two years. Ezio's got two years left, or one year after this. And uh, Simmons just just a one year guy. He's a fifth year guy. So they, they've done a good job you know, going back to Rokas Gusties of kind of developing these bigs and keeping them here. And they got a couple guys uh, sitting out this year. I think they have high hopes for in a couple years on the road. So um, yeah, like I said, it's not, it's not the backcourt. <laughs> you know, it's not the, not the legacy they got there. But those guys have been pretty good, and, and I'm real curious to see how they do Thursday night against uh, you know, a really good pair you guys got down there. Yeah, you 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 helped me lead us out, so I'm gonna I'm gonna make one note, which is that um, you know, cause we're not gonna get a chance to, to go into this in depth this time around. But um, I hope to see you, sir, at the uh, the Hall of Fame induction. This we'll July. be there. We'll be there. Um, good. Wife and I good. go. I'm, I'm, I'm wife, my wife and I have gone every year. Uh, uh, we, we went in 1999. I tell you real quick. I'd said in '93 when Brett, Ryan, and Yount retired. I said, "Oh man, those guys are the players of my youth." I was 20 years old. I said, "I'm going to see those guys in 90, 1999." Which seemed like you know, futuristic year. And then it happened. And my wife and I, our first trip together was to the Hall of Fame in '95. 
Uh, we've been there every year for inductions except 01, I was out of work. 08, my mother was sick. Uh, 12, my wife was eight months pregnant. And let me tell you, you don't want to be eight months pregnant in a giant field in Cooperstown. <laughs> uh, I believe know, that. If Ch- Chipper Jones brought his nine-month pregnant wife or 10, she was really probably ready to burst when he got in because, you know. You got you treated a little bit differently when you were one. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, yeah. he had a – and then uh, that we missed that year too. We missed uh, – that was what, 18? 18 because my, my mother-in-law was sick. So we've been there every year in 20, of course. Uh, we went last year. You know, for, for the goes in the books of 2020 was the September 21 induction. Uh, yeah, so I'll be there. I, I didn't think Ortiz would get in this year. I thought he'd get in next year, but he, as we know, he, he rolled in. So uh, it's me a good crowd because uh, Boston's going to travel well for that, as you know. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, no, I'm I'm thrilled. Obviously, the poppy's getting in, and and the last time I was up there and I and I saw you was uh, for Mariano. So so we're burying the lead another time. I was up there for a Yankee to go in. Um, That's right. Now nobody knows where I'm coming from. That was Mariano. Yeah. My uh, my father-in-law is a diehard. There's only one sport. There's only one team. It's the New York Yankees. So we went up there for that one. Um, And you know, it's just it's a such a pleasant experience. So I'm really glad. I I got got a chance to see you. So let me get you out. I know you got a big game tomorrow to worry about with Wilmington. But what is your prediction for Thursday? Let's look past. Let's let's not be. We're not coaches. We don't have to worry about. Oh, Keep it one day at a time. Let me get Give through me Monday first. Thursday. Let me get through Monday enjoy. first, Dan. I can't look that far ahead. Um, I, I thought the best game I've seen all year was after Drexel down here. Uh, I thought that was just an incredible game with Estrada and Bell trading haymakers. Uh, you know, Madison went overtime yesterday. That was a great game. But, man, after Drexel was just the best game I've seen, uh, certainly since the pandemic started um, in person. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go with Drexel. I, I just think that this feels like a split season series. Teams hold court, uh, hold serve at home. Uh, you guys are definitely healthier, uh, knock on wood, than you were a few weeks ago because uh, Butler's back. Um, I just think, you know, I think, I think, I think Drexel. It was a it was a coin flip game up there, and Hofstra punched last. I just just like I said, these feel like two terrifically matched heavyweights, and I just think that uh, the game uh, at your at, at at Philly is going to go is going to go the home team's way. So. And I actually believe that. I'm not reverse hexing you, although I might be. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. From from Jerry Beach, who unequivocally thinks that David Ortiz should be a first ballot Hall of Famer. I, um, I, if I had a vote, he would have had mine. Absolutely. I didn't I didn't go. think he'd get in because of the you know PED stain and the anti-DH. I didn't think he'd get in the first time. But you know, if I had a vote, he absolutely – I mean, it's the Hall of Fame for crying out loud. And you All can't right, get any wrong things on that guy. What's that? <laughs> so we can be friends again. That, that, that's all right. That's right. All right. No doubt Thanks, about Jerry. it. Thanks, Jerry. We really appreciate you coming on. Thanks, guys. Appreciate uh, having me on. And thanks to my dad for listening and everybody be good. And uh, let's do this again soon. Thanks, Jerry. Right. Thanks for coming. All right. Have a good night.